Well, some of you might be as surprised as I am to be for me standing up here looking at you. <laughs> um, I'm used to being on the right side of the stage, your left, and so now here I am at the middle. It's kind of weird. And uh, some of you who are new here are thinking, why are they letting high schoolers preach? Um, I can assure you, uh, I have graduated last year from, from high school, and uh, I'm just kidding. Not last year. Okay. Uh, my name is Jim. I'm the worship pastor here, and um, honestly, uh, on Monday, Todd, Todd uh, talked to me. We talked about worship and about um, someone doing a, a message on worship, and as we were talking, I was thinking, man, poor sucker who has to do that. <laughs> and he calls me a couple of hours later, and here I am, so... Um, but what I realized from leading worship is a lot of you guys don't necessarily uh, know my background, know where I come from, because I don't uh, preach or anything like that. And so I thought quickly I'll give you just a one-minute synopsis of where I've come from. Um, I came from northern Sacramento. I grew up in, in, uh, in, uh, in Roseville, right outside of Sacramento. And uh, I started following the Lord at the age of, uh, well, about the age of 12 or so, 14, somewhere around there. And as I followed God, um, I started to, to lead worship in my youth group. I found this way that I could express my heart to God. It was amazing. And so I started doing this, started leading worship through college, went to Sacramento State University. And um, while I was there, um, I was leading worship at a, at a major college group in the area, and it was called Celebration. So I'd lead for that for three years. After that, um, I started working with a church plant. My friend Sean planted a church in northern Sacramento. And so I started working with him, leading worship one or twice, once to twice a, um, a month, leading worship for that at church plant. And um, after I graduated from college, I got married to my wife, Sherry. And uh, she graduated with a degree in nutrition from Cal Poly. And so the next step for her was to go get her, marketing, or her master's degree in nutrition and also get her RD license. And so that's how we ended up down here. Uh, she went to CSUN to, to get all that. And um, I started doing marketing and uh, doing stuff of that nature. But in the process of church shopping, which all of us tend to do if we're looking for churches in different areas, um, I think Cornerstone was number five on the list. And so we ran into Cornerstone, came... And immediately from stepping foot through the door, we fell in love. And, um, and it's funny because we had planned uh, a year and a half was her program, and at exactly a year and a half, we'd be out of here. Couldn't handle L.A., couldn't handle it, living in the valley. And uh, here we are, that was four years ago. And uh, we just fell in love uh, with this church, with the elder board, with the pastoral staff. Within a, a few months of coming, they offered me a job. And I've been leading over at the, um, the Moore Park uh, satellite service that we had uh, for a while, which is now its own church plant. Um, speaking of church plant, uh, Brian and Wendy Risky, who planted a church in, uh, in Colorado, are here with us. So, welcome, guys. But um, that's good to see you. Good to see you. <clears throat> um, and, but now, I, as Tony left to plant a church in Ohio, I took over for him. So, it's been a blast. I've loved it. I loved every second of it. And so, um, except for this second of it, I don't like <laughs> having to preach. But you know what? Um, I guess if anybody has been watching... The trends and different things that have been happening with worship has been me over these past uh, few uh, 10, 12 years. So um, what I'm going to tell you, uh, this is something dear to my heart and, um, and something I've watched, and I've been forced to watch. Is any of you guys that are within a trade, any certain trade over the past 10 years, you've seen certain things emerge and certain things digress or certain, certain things progress and things have just changed. And, and for me, for the past 12 years, I've been leading worship and and so I've seen some different uh, uh, themes, some different things emerge. Um, some things ca- are really cool, and some things are, um, are really hurtful to the church. And uh, so we're going to talk through that a little bit today. And before I get started, some, you know, you have events that happen in your life that kind of uh, spur on this idea that uh, maybe something is going wrong. And I'm going to share one with you. Um, 
A couple of years ago, I had a chance while I was doing uh, the worship at the, uh, at the Moore Park church, uh, not church plant, the uh, satellite service. While I was out there, um, the, an opportunity came up to lead worship at a, at a major Christian camp in California uh, for the winter camps. And um, we were totally stoked to do it. It worked out great because I could leave Thursday through Saturday night, come back for Sunday morning service and lead. And it was like 13 weeks in a row or so. And so, um, so as your tradition is, you go over to the camp and you only sit down with the sound tech. So the guy that pushes the faders in the back, and you kind of talk through what you're going through. And that was just, just normal. So we got there the first day. I go back and start talking to him. And uh, as we're talking through just what's going on, um, he asked me the question that I'll never forget. He asked me this. He says, so what, did you want, what do you want your light show to look like? And I was, <laughs> I was kind of, I started chuckling a little bit, you know, on my light show, come on. And I realized he was serious really quick. And I'm like, oh, wow. And trying not to act like I've never done this before, I said, well, you know, I'm not too picky. I'm cool, you know, and so we keep going with the conversation, and, uh, and right as I'm about to leave, he asked me the question, uh, oh yeah, can I, get, can I get your set, your worship, the music you're going to do um, for, for the worship concert, so I can program in the lights, and I looked at him again, and I said, worship concert, what is that, what's a worship concert, you know, and I realized it was the set, the big long set I was supposed to do was a worship concert, and, and so I, I kind of like, okay, well, whatever, you know, they're going to do their thing, let them do their thing. And so, um, and this is a total great camp, total biblical uh, found, found, foundational camp. And, 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 uh, and so, anyway, so we get there. Saturday night was the big worship concert, I'm going to come to find out. And as we were doing the worship concert, um, <clears throat> I get out there, the band's all set up, right? We're here, and I started doing the first course of music, and I notice this, sm- this fog, <laughs> this smoke billowing from my feet. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, something is on fire. And so I turn around and I look around. I look at the guys in the band. I'm like, I'm realizing there's two big old fog machines in the back squirting out this fog. And now like, and I realize you got to have that stuff to, to let the light show and stuff. But then as I was leading, I was looking out and I was looking at these kids, these high school kids. And I was thinking, what are we teaching them about worship right now? And if that, if that wasn't hard enough, afterwards, uh, we ran around in the back and just to greet the kids and hang out with them. And the next thing we knew, uh, my band, which is pretty funny because it's made up of uh, Mark Snee, who's the high school pastor, Jay, who, who, leads, who plays bass with me, and, uh, and some other guys, and my wife. And we, we must have signed 100 autographs after the service. And as I'm writing this, I'm like, hey, you guys understand, you're never going to see me again. This is worth nothing at all. And, and I'm just blown, blown away. And, and I guess the question is this, is, is there something wrong with that? You know, is there something wrong with what's become? Do you think God, when he created man, had this intended with worship? And this is something that I have to process through every day. Whenever you play out somewhere, if you play at a camp, if you do things like this, I'm just face-to-face with this because I just have this feeling that the more I study it, the more I study this idea of worship, the more I look in the Scripture and see what God's intention for his people are, is the more I'm convinced um, that God cares, one, about this area more than anything else in our lives. This idea of worship is a foundational aspect of, of our lives that God cares more about than anywhere else in our lives. The other thing I'm convinced of is I believe that Satan has taken this idea, this, this thing that, that was intended for God's glory, this thing that was intended to exalt God, and in a lot of ways has taken it and twisted it and made it about us. Somehow made it about us and about what we can consume and what we can take. And, you know, even with that, what's amazing to me is that nobody questions it, you know? 
That's how you get people in. That's how churches grow. You get people in because they have good worship. Or you get, you get big people coming to your camps because you have great, a great band. And I guess, I guess the thing is, is I'm kind of done with that, you know? And I want to talk through this and see how this is actually applied in our life. And, um, and so the question is this. I mean, for some of us, we're sitting here thinking, okay, well, so what? You know, we show up to church. Um, it doesn't really affect me. I understand, okay, yeah, they have good music or, you know, I listen to music, whatever, I leave, I'm fine. And I'm going to give you three reasons why you should care about this. I think it will be up on the screens. First reason. Here we go. So how does our, our cultural view and why should we care? Why does this affect each of us? The first one is this. Is our current view of worship allows us to compartmentalize our relationship with God. And I, I think that this idea is, uh, is huge. And I think this is how it plays itself out. Something that happens with what we've done with worship is that worship begins to be something that takes place on weekends alone. And not only does it take place on weekends, on the, during these services, it becomes the burden of the worship service or the worship pastor or the service pastor or the whoever it might be to make sure that we all engage in worship. And so it's almost become something that we, we make happen once, once a week. Um, I mean, can you... And in this idea of loving God or adoring God once a week, could you imagine if I, I brought my wife up, you know, like let's say, you know, here it is, uh, 12, 12, almost 12.30. I said, well, here, here, Sherry, come here. And I, I pulled my guitar out, you know, once a week at 12.30. I play a song. I play songs for her for 25 minutes. And then for the rest of the week, I don't talk to her. I don't adore her. I don't say I love you. I don't even interact with her in a way that I should. But because that, I feel I'm good because of that, that, that 25 minutes on a Sunday. And I think some of us have, have, have slipped into the idea that we can do that with God. That somehow, if we just come and sing them once a week, we're good for the rest of the week. And I, I just don't think that's it. I don't think that's it. And I think what happens is that 25 minutes becomes pretty trite after a while. That after a while, it's like, well, if you really love me, Jim, you wouldn't just sing me songs. You would actually, you know, buy me dinner or love me or you take me on a walk around, walk around the block and talk to me, ask me how my day is. And there's becomes this interaction that, that's, that becomes essential, I think, in worship. And, so, and the other thing is, is that we feel the freedom not to bring Christ into the rest of our world. If we have worship one day a week, that means that Monday we're good. Or after you leave here and you go to lunch, you don't have to necessarily worship God through lunch. It becomes something that we don't have to take there. We don't have to take with him, on, him onto our commute. We don't have to take him into our workplace. We can separate church from work. I know a lot of guys that love that separation. They love it because they don't have to. They can be who they are. They're a hard businessman, but then they come to church and they worship. And that is separate, you know? And I think God is calling us to something greater. And the third reason, um, oh, real quick, actually, the, uh, the idea of that, too, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 22, it says, um, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this idea that, um, that, that whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, you to do this to the glory of God. So whatever you do. Jesus says in Matthew 22, uh, love God with all of your heart. Love God with all of your soul, love God with all of your mind, and love God with all of your strength. And so we have this call to worship God with everything we have. So one is that we should care because we end up compartmentalizing our life. Number two is our current view of worship allows us to not experience the greatest fulfillment in life. And those of us who know Christ know that as we serve God and we worship God, we actually find the most fulfillment in life. That it reaches beyond anything we could buy, anything we could grab, anything we can touch. But this idea of worshiping God, it actually reaches beyond that. We find the greatest fulfillment in life. And number three is that our current view of worship demands our entertainment and not God's glory. And God calls us to love what he loves. And that's, that's why we are here. We are called to love what God loves. And if you look through scripture, there's one common theme, that God loves himself. 
And God is most concerned about His glory than anything we're, we're in, anything else. That He loves Himself. And we're called, we're commanded to love God. And so we, by doing this, we love what, what He loves. And so my goal today is that we leave with a very practical understanding of what worship is and a very ap- applicable understanding of what worship is. And, um, and I guess, you know, the first step to this is uh, defining worship. So the first thing we have to do is say, okay, what is worship? And this is what I want you to do. If you look in your bulletins, there should be like a little uh, sermon notes thing. If you can just pull that out, and just, there's a big fat section where you can write notes down. Just write this down. If you can do this, write down how you would define worship. So the next 30 seconds, just take a, take a second and define worship just for yourself. You don't have to share with anybody or anything like that. Just, just write it down for the next 30 seconds and I'll stop you guys. How would you define worship? And while you guys are writing that, um, I, this past uh, little while, I've had a chance to, um, past two years or so, uh, the bridge, we have this thing called a bridge at our church, and it's a way you can kind of get to know Cornerstone and ins and outs and what we do, why we do what we do, spiritual gifts and how you fit, and it's a really cool thing we have, and if you're interested, I would look into that. Um, but one section we have is that of worship. We ask, that, we ask how worship actually affects Cornerstone and what we mean by that, and this is the first thing I do is I have them all define worship for me, just to kind of see where we're at foundationally. And I'm going to read to you a couple of the main kind of common things that people say. This This is the first one. Uh, When I sing my heart out to God and feel his presence. So probably the most common thing that I've seen is this idea of of singing to God, that we can sing to God. And yes, it's it's, it's the way we worship. It's great. And we feel his presence. We interact with God. The second one, for those that kind of have been around the block a little bit and they understand that maybe worship is not necessarily just music, they say, uh, when I spend time in prayer and confess my heart to God. So they understand this idea of prayer, too, can be a means of worship. And these are for the people that have been at Cornerstone for a few years, and they know how highly we, how we, we value Scripture. They always they say this one, and they think they're really good because they got it all kind of blended in together. They say, when I spend time in God's Word every morning and find Scripture to help me uh, through the day. And so even this idea of spending time and studying God's Word can be an act of worship. And, uh, but be, I think before we define, really kind of nail down what worship is, we have to define what it isn't. And... Uh, and uh, here it is, like the most common theme of all misconceptions about worship I have found is this, that somehow, in some way, worship centers around us, that worship has to do with us, that the foundation of what worship is, is, is you and I. And, um, and I think that, uh, the, the, the funny thing is, I think most of us don't think that we've done that, you know, and I think it's, the, most of us think, oh, well, come on, you know, it's not me. It doesn't sound, it's about God. And, and I guess when the, 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 past, the past 10 years or so of watching this kind of thing evolve um, is that I've watched, even the way our semantics, even the way we talk about what worship is, it's turned in almost to a type of goods that you can receive, that you can take, that you can, that you can have. It's been an interesting thing. And I know that's kind of vague a little bit, but let me ask you the question here. When was the last time you asked this question? How was the worship? Have you guys ever said that? How was the worship? And what are you talking about? I mean, because I say it too. I ask, how was the worship? And what I'm saying is, how was, the, how was the musical experience you interacted with? How was that? How was the worship leader? How was that sort of thing? Or how about this? Um, I, like it, I like the worship at this church. I, I don't, or I don't like the worship at this church. Uh, I like the, the church is good, but I don't like the worship. You know, or how about this one? This is one I've heard. This will crack you up. I like the preaching, but I don't like the worship. <laughs> I've heard that a few times. Thank you guys very much. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, is that 
it's somehow that somehow you can come in and say, you know, this worship thing, I don't like it that much, you know, and I didn't like how the guy did it. And the, the most ironic thing is, is when we start talking through biblical worship, it's what you do. It's what you give. It's not what you take and you receive. And so we'll go through that a little bit later. And I think what, what's happened, um, I mean, because I do the same thing. I, I'm, not, I'm not different. When Francis gets back from a conference, I'll ask him, hey, how was the worship? And what I'm asking is, how was the worship leader? How was the band? Were they tight? Was the music good? Did you like the music? Was it up to date or was it old, you know, old school or whatever? And that's what I'm asking about. I'm asking about that sort of thing. So we all do it, uh, especially if you've grown up in church for a while. That's what you do. And, and I think what's happened is that we've done an amazing job marketing this idea of worship. To get a big church, you have to have good worship. To get, to get, to get a great camp, you have to good worship. And the most funniest thing is, check this out, karaoke praise and worship. I found this this week online, and I was cracking up. I'm thinking, okay, just as you sing these songs, if you grab that mic and you sing along with a bouncing ball, all of a sudden you're worshiping God. Okay, you can pull that off. And I, I cracked it. It's funny, but it's true. I mean, and... and even if you still don't think so, I talked about this a while. You guys have heard of iTunes? Yeah? And have, have you guys ever downloaded anything off there, like worship songs we do on Sunday mornings, any of that? Do you remember what, what category that was under? Inspirational. Exactly. Inspirational. Have you ever thought what that meant? <laughs> it means that by you listening to this or singing along with this music, that you will somehow be inspired or that you will somehow receive inspiration from listening to this music. And... And I think that if you look on Scripture, that, that inspiration has nothing at all ever to do with worship. Ever. And I'm just going to do this. And, and today, as we get, start getting to the meat, it's just going to be a shotgun blast, and I apologize, of just all this stuff. And, and Todd asked me, again, at the beginning of the week, and I, there's just so much. It's probably should be an 80-part thing, but I'm just going to give it to you all in one shot, so I apologize ahead of time. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to spit out tons of Scripture one or two I'll just kind of grab and we'll open up and look at. But I want to encourage you as we get into this, to take, to take this week, if you look at this stuff, and actually do your own study on, uh, on what worship truly is. Um, but as we go through this, I'm just going to start nailing them off. So here's, here's, I just want to give you a broad spectrum of Scripture of what worship is. And I'm just going to give you like four passages of this. The first one is this, Leviticus 1, 1 through 5. If you write this down, don't, you don't have to turn to it. But what it basically talks about is it's, it's when God instituted this idea of, of doing offerings uh, to him, and, and, and he's talking specifically in Leviticus 1 about blood offerings. And when you offer, and what happens is the Israelites would come to the priests, the Levites, and they would sacrifice the best of what they had, and they had a rules about it. You, 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 the certain way you, you cut it, the certain place you put it, the certain place you put the blood. And the funniest thing is you go through these ideas of what worship was in the Old Testament, you see nothing about what the, the Israelites felt. There's no care at all about what they felt or what they did. It was all about what God received. I think in the same way, a beautiful psalm is Psalm 57. And write that down, Psalm 57. And what, what you'll find in there is David is running, uh, running into a cave from his life, for his life. Saul is chasing him, and he's writing this thing. And it's the most beautiful psalm, adoring God, giving God praise. But the, at the time of the, of, of the psalm, psalm was, or, uh, David was fearing for his life that he was going to be killed by Saul. He didn't understand why God was going to make him, or kill him this way. But he said, God is his deliverer. And it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. Next is Acts 4.32-37. If you look at that, you see this is the New Testament church. After Christ has rose again and instituted this thing called the church, um, all the, the followers of Christ were laying all their possessions, they were laying down everything they had, their property, at the feet of the apostles. And the funniest thing is you read through that, it talks nothing about inspiration. 
It, they didn't do it because they were inspired. They did it because they loved and worshipped God. And the last is, is, uh, is Revelation 4, 9 through 11. And this is, this is the throne room of God. This is what heaven is going to look like. And you have the 24 elders and you have the living creatures surrounding the throne, bowing down at the throne. And when they're singing, you know, worthy is the Lamb who is slain, praising Christ. And, and it has nothing, there's no mention at all about what they felt at all. And I, I challenge you to find that. But I guess the common theme, so we'll be talking about what, what is not a common theme. Here's the common theme of true biblical worship is this. It's that true biblical worship, true biblical worship centers around God and around God alone. Only God. Only Him. And I think the easiest thing that we do as, as, as followers of Christ, especially if we've been in the church in a while, because I think if most people, if I asked you, okay, how would you define worship? Like, how, how would the average person define worship? I think most people would say, well, Romans 12, you know, off your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You know, yeah, I believe that. But I think we've done an amazing job in separating our theological understanding of, of worship and our practical application of what worship is. I think that we've done an amazing job in the church today to have a big old break there. Because I, I bet you, I bet you that most people, if you look at the theological understanding, that they're not living this thing out on a daily basis. And so that's what we're going to try to ga- bridge the gap of today, just really quickly. I mean, we're going to go through this again. I apologize ahead of time. This is going to be a shotgun blast, but we're just going to go for it. So here's my definition of worship, if you can put that up there. It's this. If you can write this down, go for it. Choosing to authentically respond to the person and character of God. I'll read that again. Choosing to authentically respond to the person and to the character of God. And for the remainder of the time, let's kind of go over the implications of this definition. Um, but for the first part is this. It's, it's this. It's that worship must be authentic. So worship must be authentic. And, and what I mean by authentic is, is real or genuine. And the bottom line with this idea is that God knows the heart. God knows what's going on inside the soul. You know, it says in uh, Psalm 44:21, it says, God knows the secrets of the heart. In Luke 16, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees whose whole goal was to live out what they saw as worship during, in the streets. They were praying on street corners. They were doing everything that looked like they were worshiping. And what he says to them, he says in, in Luke 16, he says, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. These are the same guys that, that, that Christ calls uh, whitewashed tombs. He says that, you're clean on the outside. You look pretty on the outside, but inside you're dead. And I think God's concerned with the state of the heart. And I'll be honest with you, as a worship leader, getting up here playing guitar, I love it. I love when people are raising their hands. I love when people are clapping. I love when people are looking like they're worshiping. But the more I lead, the more I realize that that has nothing to do with what's happening inside the, the, the heart, inside the soul. And so God is concerned with that. God is concerned with the heart. So authentic worship and so what does authentic worship look like? So we're talking about this idea of real or genuine worship. And what does that look like? And, and I think with the next couple of, uh, next couple of definitions, we'll kind of nail that down. It's this. This is the next one. Worship must be a response. So uh, worship must be a response. And a response is just a natural human, human action. Um, voluntarily or involuntarily, every day we're responding to something. But the, the understanding is that there must be an initial action for a reaction to occur. So, so for us to respond to something, something must happen or someone must do something for us to react to. 
And I think it's the same thing when we talk about worship, that that first step in order to respond to God is that we must know God. We must have an understanding of who God is, His person, His character. We must have an understanding of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-24 says, The wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who don't know God. So this whole God thing that we're talking about, this worship thing, for those that don't know Christ and don't follow Christ, don't believe in Him, um, this stuff is foolishness. And so the, the first step is to know God. And, and to, in order to respond, we have to know Him. Um, Titus 1 also says that the actions of those who do not follow Christ actually deny Him. So it's not even enough just to know of Him. You, I mean, you'll see your actions. You'll see that, that if, if there's any actions of a non-believer or someone who doesn't follow Christ, they'll actually deny who He is. And it even says that, that they're unfit to do any good thing. It's an interesting thing. Um, the second part of being a response is that, that a, a response, our worship, worship is always the response of seeing God. And, and just an example of that is just a common theme biblically. You look in Isaiah 6. You see Isaiah's interesting inter- interaction with God, the God of the universe, and his first immediate reaction is to fall on his face and say, Woe is me. I'm dead. I'm I'm ruined. And uh, in the same way, you see in Revelation 1, you see John have this interaction with the exalted Christ. If you re- read there, it's great. Revelation 1, and it says that he, he falls down like a dead man. And so, the, so the, in order to be a response, when you see God, um, you will always respond to him. And so what does that look like? I think most of us would say, well, if I saw God today like that, I would totally respond too. But I think the ways that we see God today have to do a lot with spiritual disciplines. When we're spending time um, in the Word, when we're spending time in prayer, when we're spending time fasting, spending time in solitude, intent on God, and interacting with God. So in order to respond to God, we have to interact with God. And also, I think in the church, now some of us have had hard church backgrounds. I know, and I think God could not have been in that, in that church. And I think God has used, and I think Peter said this a few, a few months back. He said that the church is God's change agent in this world. And so His Spirit is in His people, and His people are in the church. And so you'll also see God in the church. And one thing that I really don't want to do and I'm really careful with doing is we don't want to nail down what it looks like. That if you, uh, if you pray every morning, you're going to interact with God. Because I think there's something about this, this whole Christian experience that, that it's called to be a mystery, almost a mystery. It's almost like with my wife. If I, if I knew that if I said I loved you uh, five times throughout the day, that by the end of the day, I have a happy wife. So if I woke her up at, at, at you know, six in the morning... And I said, hey, Sherry, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and I love you. And then that was done. I don't, I don't think that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this constant daily interaction with Christ in order to see him. And so the second part of this, or the third part of this idea of response is that we mirror what we worship. Um, have you ever had a conversation with somebody, and no matter what you were talking about, it kind of ended up revolving around the same thing? Like talking to somebody about the weather, saying, hey, man, so hot outside. All of a sudden, the next thing you know, we're talking about how hot it was when you were riding your boat around the water. And then all of a sudden, you're talking about how many cylinders his boat, the boat has. And, and so you start, you start finding that you mirror and you talk about what you worship. I mean, some people I know I'll talk to, and all of a sudden, right away, it'll turn to them and talk about their problems and their issues. Every single time I talk to them, it goes right there. And I think sometimes, um, if you look at that, they're probably wrestling with a little bit of pride and a little bit of uh, worship of self. And so, if you want to watch, if you want to see what you worship, uh, listen to what you talk about. And that's kind of scary. But uh, if you can do that, that that'll, that'll reveal quickly. And this is what I love. In Second Corinthians 3.18, it says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And this is a beautiful, beautiful verse talking about, um, talking about in Exodus 34, when, when Moses steps down from the mountain, he comes down with his face glowing, and they, he puts a veil over his face to hide his glory, the glory of the Lord that came as he interacted with God on that mountain. And, um, and I think what, what it's saying is that in the same way, here we are now, we're a new people, part of a new covenant. As we interact with God, our face is, is, is going to be glowing to the world. And that this idea that, that uh, from glory to glory, that from God's glory to, to us, that we can project this idea of who God is in this world. And so we're called to reflect what God is. So we mirror what we worship. And the last idea of this response is that true response is always a type of sacrifice. And it's always a type of sacrifice. And this is laid out really easily in, in Philippians 3 when Paul talks about his accomplishments. And he says, I count it all, I count everything in this world a loss. I count it garbage. I count it nothing for the sake of knowing God and, and, and knowing the cross. And so he even sacrificed that. And you see that same theme throughout the Old Testament. You see this idea of grain offerings and giving the best of what they had. And the coolest thing is that in the New Testament, Paul comes back and says, okay, yeah, those old, te- the, the old things are dead, but the idea of this new covenant is that you now become those sacrifice, that you are now the living sacrifice uh, that, that, that to, to offer daily, to die to yourself daily and give of yourself daily for God. And so we have that theme uh, that, uh, that true response is always a type of sacrifice. And here's the last little point as we kind of close up, but is this. <clears throat> is that worship must be a choice. And I think this is the practical end of the whole thing. I think most of us up to this point be like, yeah, I agree, I agree. I think it has to be an all-life thing. I have, to, I have to love God with everything I have. I have, to, um, I have to respond to God. I have to interact with God. I totally agree. But I think this is what I was talking about. This is where this idea of a practical application and a theological understanding have to smush together in this, in this idea of being a choice. And so what does it look like? What does worship look like daily? You, know, you hear that. You know, offer yourselves daily in, in worship. And so what does that look like? Um, and I think a lot of times we feel good about ourselves if we choose not to react to something. You know what I mean? So if we're driving, if we're driving along the 405... <clears throat> You know, someone cuts us off. We feel really good if we don't go up and tail them for the rest of the way. You know, or we feel good if we don't flip them off. You know, we think, okay, we've done our, our, our civic duty here. We've done our duty to God by not doing something. You know, or we're at work and someone's bad-mouthing you trying to climb their way to the top. I think sometimes we think we're good if we just don't say anything. You know, and, and I think this is the thing. Is I, the more I study what worship is, is I think God is calling us to something greater than that. And this is what I'm talking about. If you go, go to Matthew 5 real quick with me. Matthew 5, verse, uh, verse 38. Let me read to you what Jesus says here. 538, it says this. You've heard it was said, that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, uh, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one uh, who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who, persecu- who persecute you. And here's the thing, is I think, I really think that we're called to proactive faith. I think we're called to a proactive faith. And, and, and I think this is where worship comes in. 
in every aspect of our lives. So if you're driving on the 405 and you know you're going to get all mad because someone's cutting you off, let your act of worship be giving two car lengths in front of you. Even though you know everybody and their mom is going to be driving in front of you, offer it to God as an act of worship. Offer two car lengths. If you're at work and some guy's talking bad about you, the beautiful thing is you can take that guy to lunch and love him. And that becomes your act of worship. You know? Or if you're coming home after a hard day of work and all you want to do is sit in front of the TV, you know, the most amazing thing you can do is just say, take your wife for a walk around the block and then talk to her, ask her how her day was, and love her like Christ loves the church. And I think the thing is, I think it gets harder than that. I think those are the, the easy fix things that we look at like, oh, okay, I can do that, I can do that. But where it really comes in and it really becomes a fragrant offering to the Lord is when you're a, a mom, a single mom with two kids, you're waking up at 3 a.m., to a screaming kid, even though you know at 6 a.m. you have to drop your kid off at daycare, and you're praying for the, the father of that child, and you're praying for that child. Or if you're a, a guy who, who comes to church regularly every Sunday, and you go home to, to a wife who doesn't even know the Lord, is unbelieving, could care less about your faith, but you're trying your hardest to love her like Christ loves the church. And I think that's the beautiful, beautiful offering that we can offer God even today. And, and, and the most amazing thing as I study this stuff and think through this stuff is that God uh, blesses us as we do that. It doesn't make sense to me. There's no requirement that God will bless us, but he does. And, 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 it's, and, and, and even in that, God gives us our daily bread every day to provide us what we need to get through the day. And, and I'm just blown away the more I look at this. And So really quick to finish up, what does this mean practically for our weekend services? So here we are. We're all together. So what does this mean for us? And, and I guess... I want to ask you a question. And can you imagine what this time would be like if each of us individually throughout the week spent time truly worshiping God, truly responding and choosing to respond in every circumstance uh, to who He is? Can you imagine what this time would be like? I guarantee you we wouldn't have as many arguments on the way to church. You know, (laughs) I guarantee you that we probably wouldn't complain about as much as we do when it comes in. Um, I guarantee you that... uh, that we wouldn't rely on this weekend service to provide us with all our worship experience. But I think what would happen, and I, and I can't wait for this to happen, is that we'd join together and we would truly celebrate what God has done during the week. I think we would come and we'd come to serve, not, not, to, not to take. I think we'd come to, to give and not receive. Um, I think also, too, this church thing that we do every week, I think it would be correctly centered on God rather than incorrectly centered on ourselves. You know, and, and here's the deal. Like, I've been sitting in, in, the, in, the, in the chairs with you guys, right, beyond, right uh, beyond, beyond side, right next to you guys in the service each week. Um, and I know how it's been. Todd's been preaching every week. I feel like I have to sell something, honestly, and I feel like I have to give something up just because of the nature of what he's been talking about. But I guess the more I look at this and the more I think through this idea, what Todd's been talking about in this whole life God thing, is that um, we, have to start, we have to stop talking about our faith as something that, that very easily and nicely fits into our families. We have to stop talking about our faith that really neatly fits into our hobbies, into our life, into our work. And we really have to talk, start talking about this faith thing as a revolution. Because what we're talking about is revolutionizing every aspect of our lives. And, and it's funny because a, a few weeks ago I sat down with Todd and we had a meeting and, and uh, I was talking to him and I asked him the question. I said, do you really believe this, this lifestyle you're talking about, that you've been talking to us every week about, 
Do you really believe that it can begin with a sermon? Because I think so easily as a church, we get up here and we, we preach and expect everybody to just turn around and be, you're right. And I don't, I don't, think, I don't think that's practical. Because um, I know, I've been there too. I leave after the 1130 service, go have lunch, and man, I, I wrestle to figure out what was spoken about during the day. You know, I'm, I'm right there. But here's the thing, is that if you leave with anything, is this, that this revolution we're talking about, this idea of whole life, God living thing, is it begins with worship. The foundation is a daily decision to worship God. I think everything we're talking about will in turn, will in turn uh, fold into that. And then what that happens with that is daily loving our neighbors, uh, changing our neighbors, changing our families, changing our community, and in turn just changing the world. And so this is my heart on worship. Um, I know often I'm, I'm, I'm up there with the guitar just singing, and, and so I hope you guys heard a little bit about that. And, and I hope that we actually leave with this practical understanding, and I hope that each day we can actually ask ourselves, um, you know, how, to, how we can choose to respond authentically to God in every circumstance. Amen? Well, let me pray for us here as we go. Lord, you know what's truth. God, you know um, where each of us are at. You see our hearts. You see where our state is. And, and God, uh, for those that are new here and new to this, this whole church thing, I pray, God, that you will uh, just speak your truth into their hearts. Um, and Father, for those of us that have grown up in church and have such an extreme disconnect between these two things, I mean, I'm one of them. I pray, God, that you'll just begin to infuse the two together. This idea of worship is about our lives. And so, um, God, we love you. And we thank you for who you are and that you are so worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.